The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Hello and welcome to another live edition of What Catholics Believe. I'm your host, Thomas Nagley, and with me tonight is Father William Jenkins. He is a traditional Catholic priest. He's a member of the Society of St. Pius V. And he's also the pastor of Immaculate Conception Church right here in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. How are you? Very fine, Tom. Thank you. And yourself? Not too bad, Father. Great yeah. to be here. Yeah, it's good to see you. Back for another week. Yes, sir. Uh, Father, we have... Uh, a few things to mention tonight before we get into some emails and topics. Uh, one thing that we wanted to mention is our monthly public rosaries that we've been having at the right. Hamilton County Courthouse here in, in downtown Cincinnati. Um, we just had one of these this past Sunday. Mm -hmm. um, I thought we had a good turnout, all things considered. And um, But we've been doing this every month for a while now. Father, could you give us a bit more background on these public rosaries? Yes, well, our lady, of course, is... Uh come from heaven to tell us the importance of praying the rosary. Uh, throughout the church's history, we see that the necessity of meditating on the life and death and resurrection of our Lord, and uh, notably um, the life uh, of our Lord in our Blessed Mother's life, right? and how completely given she was to accomplishing the will of God. That was That's how the rosary begins, with her declaring, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it done unto me according to thy word. So uh, in the rosary, of course, we, uh, we see our Lord and we um, meditate upon his life, but we also imitate the Blessed Mother. The Gospel tells us that the Blessed Mother uh, kept all these things in her heart. And our Blessed Mother's heart is considered kind of a vessel of prayer, and uh, meditation on uh, the life of her Lord, our Lord, her Lord. Uh, the Gospel tells us twice, in fact, uh, this, this, that our Blessed Mother kept all these things in her heart. And so this is a model of prayer for us. Her heart is a model of prayer for our own hearts. That's why the Rosary is so powerful. It's like uh, the Gospel uh, set to prayer. And um, not only the meditations that are performed there, but even even the, um, the prayers of the Our Father and the Hail Mary come to us uh, straight out of the pages of sacred scripture. And the glory be to the Father, the doxology. And so the whole prayer is really a biblical prayer. Uh, but it is meant to be a way of uniting ourselves in mind and heart. That's what prayer is, right? Raising your mind and your heart to God. But uh, in a certain way, uh, engaging us physically by the pronunciation of the words of the prayer, at least mentally, in our minds. Uh, when we're playing publicly, praying together in unison, we pray the, those prayers audibly together. And we're all united in mind and heart, meditating upon the mysteries of the life of our Lord and the life of our, our Lady and our Lord's life intertwined. You know, uh, Very powerful prayer, a child's prayer, but that's what makes it so powerful. And um, we know that we're facing a uh, terrible challenge to our faith right now. And uh, we know that Our Lady has come from heaven to tell us that this is the very powerful spiritual weapon of choice that God um, gives us now to pray daily for her uh, out of love for Our Lady, out of love for our Lord. So. We do that, we, we actually take advantage of the opportunity we have here in this country because, let's face it, there are many places, many countries in the world that repress any expression of, of faith, especially our traditional Catholic faith, and where people who profess their faith openly might be subject to um, being beaten, uh, dispersed, being cited, being imprisoned, being fined, uh, even being put to death in some countries that hate our Lord and hate the true faith in our Lord, the traditional Catholic faith. So 
we can here still gather and profess our faith openly. And we need to do that. We have an obligation to do that. Our Lord said uh, that if we deny him before men, he will deny us before the angels of heaven. But if we profess him before men, he will profess us also and acknowledge us before the angels of heaven. So it's clear that our Lord wants us to profess our faith in him and our love for him. What better way than this to pray the rosary publicly, openly, audibly in front of the world and so far as we can. And uh, when we go downtown in Cincinnati each uh, month and we pray before the Hamilton County Horse Courthouse, that's exactly what we do. We pray there to say that Christ is king and that all the laws of our nation and uh, the judging of all those laws and the enforcement of all of those laws must, confined, must conform to his kingship. That is the only salvation for us individually, and that is the only salvation for us as a society, whether it be a city or a state or a nation. Um, the only hope we have is in go going to be the law of Christ and being uh, faithful to him. We, that's what we profess. And Father, I think also it might be important to point out that these are truly public rosaries in the sense mm -hmm. that they're open to 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 everyone. They're invited. Uh, everyone is invited. Even uh, you know there there are many. Um, of course, uh, we we talk so often about all the uh, the different issues that separate so many of the traditional Catholic mm -hmm. groups and even the Novus Ordo groups. But this rosary is open to. Well, they all claim to be traditional, but the trouble is they're not. They don't actually maintain a a hundred percent complete fidelity to tradition. Uh, this is the source of, of division among, among uh, you know, traditional groups that will claim to be traditional and aspire to be traditional, but they don't all actually follow Catholic tradition as they should. But one thing that they all agree on is, uh, well, well, you'll find that they agree on the faith, okay? They find the faith in the Catechism of the Council of Trent. They agree on the faith. They agree on worship. They all want the traditional Roman Rite of Mass and sacraments. Okay, all these traditional groups converge on the faith and the worship that we should be giving God in, our, in the true Mass and the true sacraments. They all claim that they're traditional also, but in fact the problem is that many of them uh, diverge from tradition when they find it uh, expedient to do so or useful to do so, and this is a problem. This is a source of division. But we all agree on the rosary, certainly, that we uh, need to pray the rosary. And this is one uh, unifying factor, I hope, that prevails in the end. So we invite all. For example, the, uh, the annual rosary procession here in Cincinnati against abortion and reparation for abortion draws a very diverse crowd, right? Conservative, Novus Ordo, uh, and various species of would-be traditional Catholic groups and real traditional Catholic groups who are really adhering to Catholic tradition, such as the Society of St. Pius V. Uh, we all gather and have hundreds, and uh, we've had as many as 1,100 people um, downtown Cincinnati praying the rosary together. We all come together in that, and that's, I think, very hopeful. <clears throat> but these monthly rosaries... Um, which carry on uh, right on the first Sundays of the month, right on through the year. Um, well, we, uh, you know, still keep, we keep praying and begging God to deliver ourselves, our families, our, our nation from danger. And uh, to purify our country um, from its weaknesses and faults and failings, and especially its crimes and abortion and so on, to purify our country from that. And uh, then to uh, not only justify our country in the eyes of God, but also to sanctify our country too, to bring our country to the foot of our Lord, the foot of the cross, and to acknowledge his kingship over us, over us all, as individuals and as societies. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's what we pray for. Well, Father, thank you for uh, thank you for leading us in those those rosaries each month, and we hope that we can uh, grow our attendance every month. So, if any of our mm. viewers could spread the word for us, that would be absolutely that would be great. <clears throat> um, I, I don't know that there was ever a time in the history of the world, and the time of the history of the church, 
that this was more necessary than it is right now. So we need to uh, practice our faith and profess our faith openly, boldly, joyfully, lovingly. <laughs> our allegiance to our Lord. Absolutely. Well, thank you for that, Father. Uh, something else we wanted to mention on the show tonight is our brand new, for the first time, What Catholics Believe coffee mug, a 15-ounce coffee mug, uh, that one of our faithful parishioners, Father, has uh, graciously produced for us. Um, we uh, we have begun selling these mugs. They uh, The link is posted on our website. Um, also on our, our YouTube channel, we have a short video explaining uh, the, the mugs on there. Uh, we were um, having a bit of a, a few technical difficulties at the beginning of this, Father, but we uh, hope to very soon have all of that flowing seamlessly and... Uh, our new mugs will be for sale on the website, wcbohio.com. You can go there. You can find all of the purchase and uh, shipping information there. So I would. Uh, you hope to have that up and running within the next 24 hours, I guess. Yes, Father. Yes. Okay, so people have to be patient. But it has the, uh, what Catholics believe, has our emblem name. of our Blessed yeah. Mother, is, uh, our Lord, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The name, what Catholics believe, and also the website address. Yes, yes, the website address is and on And what's there. that on the back oh, of the On the That's back a bit of, of a <laughs> message there. Yes, Father, what have you we, got there? we have the eight uh, Beatitudes from St. Matthew's Gospel uh, listed out for us neatly on the back, and I think we... Uh, have a, uh, a slide of that on the screen now, but all eight of the, the uh, Beatitudes are listed nicely there, so we can... Uh, so this is a tutorial. <laughs> yes. As you're drinking As you're uh, your coffee your in the morning, you can learn the Beatitudes by heart. That's correct. Yeah, that's a very good way to start the day, I'd say, yeah. right? Yes, absolutely. And uh, then uh, pledge to put those Beatitudes into, into practice throughout the day. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a very good thing. Absolutely. Well, those will be for sale, so please check our website for that. And um, just in mentioning our website, Father, I thought it would be great to remind everyone about that, wcbohio.com. We really um, prefer that our viewers go there to see our videos rather than going to the individual um, mm -hmm. video sharing platforms. Also, because we have so much other great information, um, mm -hmm. resources and links and writings on the website. Uh, we also stream the daily traditional Latin Mass here at Immaculate Conception. That's on our mm -hmm. website, um, posted there every single day. So there's so much great information on there. So we really encourage well, Actually, John, I, I asked you uh, recently about posting a link to a, uh, a speech given by a Father Frederick Becker, The Two Fists, the two fists of Communism, right? Yes. So we can post a link to that. Yes, well, that's that right? will be posted tonight. I heartily tonight. recommend that we all, everybody, all of our viewers go and watch that, actually, well, listen to it, actually. It's, mm -hmm. it's a, an audio recording uh, by a priest who was a uh, Marianal missionary in uh, China when it was taken over by the communists. Father Frederick Becker has a lot to say. He, he actually, after he was sent back to this country, escaped from imprisonment and impending death there at the hands of the communists. He traveled this country warning about the uh, communism in China. And he spoke at Elder High School here at one point, too. Uh, but he was always hounded by the communists. Um, even, even when he uh, was being let out to, to die, he thought he was going to be killed by a firing squad by the communists. He said that he was not afraid to die. He, he said he was ashamed to die because he had accomplished in his mind so little for God and for the, the souls of these people whom he'd, he'd grown to love, truly. He made that very clear. And, uh, but God spared his life. And he did actually return to Hong Kong to work among the Chinese there. And that's where I think he ended his life, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, his, uh, his, his speech, The Two Fists of Communism, is, a, is a, a bit of a personal history of his own, of his own imprisonment and, uh, and so on, and release, ultimately, but also a good analysis of communism, world communism, and the very important warning for our day. Everyone needs to hear. So I think if our viewers go on to that link and they... Uh, which will be posted, as you say, and uh, and listen to what Father Beck has to say. I think the whole speech is about maybe 45 to 50 minutes long. I, I play it for our students 
So they, they get to hear what he has to say. A man who knew communism very personal, mm -hmm. you know, personally. Um, that uh, I, I think they'll not only find it very instructive and inspiring, but I think they'll also want to share it with others too. Okay. I hope so, anyway. <clears throat> yeah. Well, thank you for that, Father. I will and be by the way, if I may, while I'm talking, <laughs> to uh, ask your prayers, please, for Mr. Philip Shuddy, who's quite ill, and also for uh, Mrs. Deborah Eby, who is ill, and also, of course, Mrs. Uh, well, actually, uh, Lori and Nancy Nelson are still recovering, so please pray for them. And uh, Stephen Sajarto and many good souls, Ray Zizicki, who are suffering right now, please pray for them all. There are so many, it's impossible to name them all. I can only name a few. There are many more, but if you pray for those intentions we have, God will bless them, and he will bless you too. I mean, you have the Beatitudes. On the cup, the very opening words of our Lord's Sermon on the Mount, one of them, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And when you pray for others who are in need of your prayers, you are showing mercy to them. And there's no better way to guarantee that you yourself will receive mercy than by showing the mercy of prayers on behalf of those who are suffering right now. So uh, please do pray for them. Absolutely. Will do. Well, Father, uh, a couple of things we wanted to get into tonight, one that we wanted to mention last week but didn't get around to, mm -hmm. but a uh, very pertinent topical today is this um, freedom convoy of, uh, of, of truckers and mm -hmm. um, Canada and Ottawa, um, that has definitely been on the forefront of, of many, many news websites and everything that's going on with these truckers who are protesting the uh, vaccine mandates and, and lockdowns that have uh, taken place in Canada. And I know, Father, you wanted to offer a few comments on this freedom convoy of truckers. Well, I think the, uh, the reaction of the authorities in Ottawa, and uh, notably uh, Justin Trudeau, right? That is his name, right? Yes. Uh, Justin. Anyway, uh, it's very telling. Um, they feel evidently somewhat threatened by this convoy. But rather than uh, negotiate with it, well, I, I understand now they're going to have some federal uh, person in Canada now kind of negotiating with them. But uh, they've decided, uh, the authorities have decided to uh, involve the police. And uh, the police are heavily armed, they're enforced, they're going, they're confiscating the truckers' fuel. And not only the, the diesel fuel for the trucks, but the propane fuel they're using to heat, you know, for heat right now. Um, and, and this is just out and out theft, of course, because this is private property. It's been, at first, you know, they had a GoFundMe page set up, which raised um, almost, well, about $10 million Canadian about $8 million American, which GoFundMe decided uh, to simply seize. And uh, they said they were going to give the money instead to charities of their choice, <laughs> and uh, which would no doubt all be leftists, because GoFundMe pages were funding, uh, you know, the, in the, the riots, uh, BLM and Antifa activities, and they had no problem with that. But... Uh, they were asked by uh, the government of Ottawa, in Ottawa uh, to withhold the funds. So, uh, so they complied, and they were going to give all of the money donated to their own causes until the protest was so great that uh, evidently from the GoFundMe you know, subscribers that uh, they said, we're just going to refund all the money. They're not going to give it to the truckers, though. So another, uh, what is this, crowdfunding page was uh, approached, and they gladly began raising money for the truckers, and I think they raised about uh, three or four million dollars last I heard. But now that that money's being released to the truckers, and they're actually buying supplies they need, uh, those supplies are being seized by the police in Ottawa. And um, uh, the police are also uh, on the prowl, um, doing whatever they can to shut down the truckers. And this is a shame. Uh, you know, you see this happening in Cuba, where the police are brutalizing the people. And these are the, their own sons and daughters uh, for the sake of uh, politicians. They, they, they just mow down their own grandparents. Uh, 
it's like they're they're mindless, they're heartless people. And uh, when the when the police are used for this, they become just like mob enforcers uh, for political despots. You know, when they when they when they descend to that level, it's just awful. Remember, I mean, the tyrants and despots. Um, in other words, leftist politicians. Because I consider all leftists to be, um, if they're not just already explicit tyrants, they're on their way. They have all the principles of tyranny in their leftist uh, philosophy and ideology. But the, the politicians of the left, I think, are all uh, just basically tyrants and despots in training. And, um, but they have, they have arms, but they have no hands. They have arms, but... They have nothing to seize with, and they have nothing to beat with. Uh, their hands basically are the police. The police um, have to do the grabbing, the seizing, the manhandling, and uh, the, uh, the beating. They have to be the, the hands and the fists of the politicians. And if the police are willing to, to uh, sell themselves to, to be that, and then they, they, they just lost all respect and the very meaning of their purpose, right? To serve and protect. Uh, and they become the oppressors. They are agents of oppression. And uh, we've seen this happen in Australia. We've seen this happen in Austria. We've seen this happen now. We're seeing it happen in Ottawa, Canada. And it's horrible to see that. Um, Jim Watkins, who is the... Uh, Jim Watson, I should say, Jim Watson, who is the mayor of Ottawa, mm -hmm. uh, has unleashed this. He's even tried to tie the truckers uh, to the January 6th myth here of insurrection, make it sound as though they're engaged in insurrection. For what? Driving their trucks to Ottawa, honking the horns <laughs> and carrying signs that they want freedom from the uh, you know, COVID tyranny. Uh, that makes them insurrectionists. Basically, any opposition that, that faces up to the, uh, the leftists is, is going to be denounced and going to be portrayed as criminal action that has to be resisted uh, by force. This is how they're going, to, they're trying to, they're going to try to defame them in the eyes of the people, make them look like the, the bad guys, the insurrectionists, the threat, the terrorists, right, domestic terrorists, this is this is just so so blatantly um, uh, <laughs> what we even call it? It's just a blatant lie. But this is, I mean, left. The whole left is built on lies. It's it's not a it's a fabric of lies. That's the only way it makes any headway by lies. And so they have to portray these truckers as a bunch of insurrectionists and uh, troublemakers and enemies and terrorists and so on. All the magic words that they have to throw. Uh, whereas actually the leftists are the ones who are really guilty of all these things. Um, and the, the truckers are being defamed in this way, painted this way, to try to set them up as targets. Um, so that when, they, when the police descend upon them in force, beat them, drag them off to jail, um, and uh, charge them with crimes of terror and insurrection, that they have some justification in the eyes of the people. Oh, the, look, this had to be done because those truckers were, you know, they're the enemies of democracy and so on. And, um, well, I, I, I would hope that, um, well, I mean, the latest thing I understand now is that the police chief there in Ottawa is actually uh, talking about the children of these truckers. The families who are there with them, and how the children are in danger, and they may have to be rescued. Well, you know what that means. That they will actually become, if they have children's aid uh, department or whatever it is up there, tell them, yes, these children are at, risk, are at risk, and you need to go, and you need to raid them, and you need to take their children away from them. And uh, this is a threat. It's just a ball place threat. And, uh, you know, but we've seen it happen before. We've seen the high-handed uh, uh, work of uh, just uh, police in the employ of uh, 
tyrants and despots and do that. Take children away. They're already doing it in Canada. It's already, there are precedents already in Canada uh, for denying parents, especially parents who will not get their children vaccinated, taking the children away and denying the parents even any access to the children. And you can see the, uh, the police in uh, Ottawa, if they, if they want to be shills for the government, if they want to be agents for this tyranny, they'll descend upon these truckers and they, uh, by the dark of night or any other way they can get in um, and get access and uh, take their children away, um, maybe in police paddy wagons and probably forcibly vaccinate them all if they're not vaccinated. Who knows? But this is what a tyrannical government does. So, uh, you know, the truckers are there, but they're facing more and more pressure, more and more threats. Heaven only knows what they're going to do in the face of these things. But uh, the government seems determined to make this as bad as it can be. It's almost uh, reading like communist China up there now. If it's not communist China yet, it's on its way. So we have to pray. We have to pray for them all. Pray for the truckers that they will stand firm for what is right, okay? And do it for the right reasons. Um, ultimately, uh, hopefully, reasons of faith and love for God, and love for country, love for their families. This will be their motivation. Pray for the grace of faith and fortitude for them. We have to pray for the police, too. I mean, the police are under pressure. We know that. You know, there's one Australian policeman who's really uh, being very oppressive toward protesters in Australia. And, and the, you can hear the people uh, asking, why are you doing this to this? Why, why are you doing this to us? And this policeman is very, very blatant about it. He says, because this is what I'm getting paid. These are the people who are paying me. That's why I'm doing this. I'm doing this because I get paid to do this. Well, you know, you could talk to a mob enforcer. He would tell you the same thing. That's why he does it. He doesn't do it out of any personal animosity toward you. But this is what he's paid to do. That's, that's a horrible thing. When this is what the police turn into. Uh, again, the fists of the tyrants, right? Because they have no hands of their own to beat the people with. They need the police to do it for them. So uh, I consider that to be a full confession on the part of that police officer. The reason for it is engaging in criminal activity. Um, but anyway, um, this could be said of many of the police here. Nowadays, they're being used to enforce this tyranny, impose this tyranny. Now, um, we also have to pray for, again, the politicians, and to pray that those who, you know, have any decency, common decency left, that they recognize there's something very wrong here. And again, that they have the fortitude to stand up and reject it and refuse to allow it to dominate. They're being bullied. They're being bullied and they have to realize they're being bullied into uh, complacence. And, uh, and therefore, they're being bullied into cooperation. Well, they have to put their foot down and say no more. Mm -hmm. Right. So, and the conversion of those who, uh, again, are the hardcore leftists who are determined to uh, to impose this tyranny on not only Canada but all the world. Mm -hmm. Father, how how different are? Uh, I don't even know if we can call this a, a, a protest. I guess a, a peaceful protest, perhaps, uh, of the, this freedom convoy. How different is this though than? What we've seen here in our own country with all of the uh, the leftist protests and uh, where this caused untold damage. And here we have this massive group of, of people capable, certainly, of, of causing some real damage. The most destructive thing they've done is, uh, is I guess, honk their horns. Um, but even then, they've... Uh, Understand they've they've this convoy has agreed to stop each well, yes. evening at the, six o'clock. But yet the the the, right. the Ottawa there's a, a judge in Ottawa who's who's I guess attempting I don't know if he's already done this of banning honking that's right in the, in the city. But this yeah, is right. this is the single that's most right. most destructive thing that they've done mm -hmm. uh, so far is honk their horns mm -hmm. um, during during the the middle of the day. So how how different is that between what we saw with all of these crazy insane? Well, when honking your horn is uh, you, you makes you an insurrectionist, yeah, yeah. then you know that they're desperate. Yeah, uh, the, the tyrants are ready to. Uh, just arrest you for breeding. Yeah. You know? And that's basically when they put masks on you and all the rest, basically they're going to arrest you for breeding. 
um, at some point. Um, you know, in, uh, in Australia, look, you know, Australia, Canada, they're all, you know, basically you look at the, the, the providence of their countries and their societies, England. It's amazing how, how harsh the crackdown has been in these nations. I think it hasn't been that harsh in this country, as harsh as it has been in Canada and as harsh as it, as it has been in Australia, because I think the politicians realize that they, they're, we, they still can't quite get away with that here. They're working on, they're working on bringing us to the point where they know they can. Um, but for some reason, they felt that they could um, succeed in carrying this out in Canada and in Australia. But, um, you know, we, we also have a video of a Novus Ordo liturgy going on in, in a Novus Ordo church in Australia. And a policeman, I think it's a man, uh, having gotten tipped off by somebody that there are people in the church who are not wearing masks. Yeah. There are very few people there. But, so, what does he do? He strides into the church during the Novus Ordo liturgy and prowls blatantly and brazenly up and down the, the aisles of the pews looking for people who aren't wearing masks and confronting them. I mean, right there in the church during their, their liturgy, right? And telling them to get their masks on. If they didn't, they did. But if they didn't, you know, what would he have done? Well, if he's a thug like so many of them, he would just uh, wrestle them to the ground, handcuff them, and drag them out, right? And uh, does anyone dare stop them? Does anyone dare protest this? I mean, it's come to this uh, in some places, and it will come to this everywhere unless it's stopped, right? So, um, you know, I, I think all of us who recognize what really is behind all this appreciate what the truckers are doing there. But unless they're doing it uh, for the right reason, and that is because they believe it is morally the right thing to do, and uh, out of an, an allegiance to, to God and to, uh, uh, to country and uh, to their families, then it will fail. But it has to start with the right principles in order to have any chance of real success. And it has to be crowned with fortitude to enable them to stand their ground for what they believe is the right thing. Um, so anyway, we, we need to pray for them. Okay. Uh, I understand there are also there are some uh, political figures in uh, Canada, uh, trying to remember right now, who have actually declared that they will lift these oppressive oppressive measures. All right, uh, but uh, of course the problem is you you've got the central government in uh, Ottawa that is determined to basically keep the country locked down. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, Johns Hopkins, a very prestigious medical facility in Baltimore, uh, has come out with a massive study on lockdowns and shown that uh, lockdowns achieve very, very little good in terms of disease containment and do an enormous amount of harm again to entire populations responsible for a lot of uh, psychological trauma and even deaths. And, uh, of course, the media, the, the, the mainstream media ignores that because it doesn't fit the leftist political narrative. Right? Mm -hmm. But uh, that study uh, issued by Johns Hopkins is a very interesting study, very compelling. That's real medicine. These are people who are not playing politics. They're actually practicing medicine, looking at the data, and they're telling you what it actually says. Mm -hmm. But interestingly enough, Father, I, I don't have the article in front of me, but I um, did read that Johns Hopkins, they, uh, they actually, um, even after this study, they're, they're now grooming, uh, I forget the exact word they use, but something to the effect of advisors or counselors or something to kind of go out and um, evangelize people trying to, to win them over to the vaccine and trying to mm -hmm. get them them vaccinated. Well, so. I mean, Johns Hopkins speaks with multiple voices, you know, yeah. obviously. There are many voices involved here. Yeah. yeah. But uh, I don't know of anybody in, at Johns Hopkins who, is, who has uh, disavowed this study yeah. or contradicted it. Yeah. And, um, you know, when you, when you have an institution such as Johns Hopkins, um, and they have a study that comes out like that, you can imagine them having to do damage control. 
by because there's going to be a backlash against this from the leftists. So they might feel compelled. Well, we need to uh, try to offset that by now showing our loyalty uh, to the leftist cause by having these apostles of leftism and lockdowns go out. But the uh, study stands on its own. Yeah, I don't know of anybody who's, who's in, in, claimed there was anything at fault in it. Okay. Well, Father, if you are uh, up for it, I thought we could switch gears a little bit. Um, okay. We, uh, <clears throat> there was uh, some interesting uh, news that just came out uh, very recently, perhaps even uh, this afternoon, um, about Taylor Marshall. And mm -hmm. uh, he <clears throat> recorded, he said, what uh, would be the most controversial podcast he's ever recorded uh, he uh, apparently accused Francis of teaching heresy. He even suggested that Hans that Francis might not be the Pope. Uh, he said things like a uh, a heretical Pope uh, ipso facto loses the the office of the papacy. He um, I guess sent out a, a series of tweets after this saying things like heretical uh, heretical bishops lose their office, heretical cardinals lose their office. He cites uh, Pope Pius XII and I think Cardinal Newman. Um, it says several interesting things like this, Father. I haven't um, personally listened to uh, to the the podcast, but do you find this interesting, Father, that Taylor Marshall is now coming out saying this? That Francis is teaching heresy explicitly. He may not be the Pope. Uh, what do you think mm -hmm. of that? Uh, actually, I'm not terribly surprised. Uh, I think it was rather predictable. Why? Because Francis keeps talking. And his, his talk, it just is uh, like an endless stream of blasphemy. Uh, I think what Dr. Taylor Marshall was responding to was Francis's uh, statement at a recent uh, general audience in the Vatican on February 2nd, the Feast of the Purification of Our Lady, in which he said that um, uh, persecutors of the Church and apostates and those who denied their baptism and even blasphemers all of them all of them are the church uh, they are all of the communion of saints and they all belong to the communion of saints blasphemers and apostates and so on persecutors of the church all belong to the communion of saints and uh, now the communion of saints, uh, you know, makes up the ninth article of the creed. And in the ninth article of the creed, it says, you know, I believe in the Catholic Church, the communion of saints. Those are not two separate articles. They're one article. The church is the communion of saints, okay? And the earth, the church uh, uh, militant in purgatory, the church suffering, and in heaven, the church triumphant. It's actually all one church, right? And ultimately, it will all be the church triumphant, right? Um, but um, for Francis to say that blasphemers and persecutors of the church and apostates uh, belong to the communion of saints uh, is actually blasphemy in its own right. It is a denial of, well, the Catholic Church's teaching of the, what the communion of saints really is. Uh, those actually sharing the sacraments and the, the power of the sacraments in, in giving grace, the grace of God, and those who are benefiting from the good works performed by those who are mot motivated by a faith, hope, and charity, love for God. And obviously blasphemers and, uh, and apostates and persecutors of the church, as long as they are blasphemers and apostates and persecutors of the church, cannot share in those in, in those goods. And, um, but this, this helps explain somewhat, perhaps, um, how Francis can canonize some of the people he does. If he considers that blasphemers are really members of the communion of saints, then why not canonize blasphemers? Why not canonize apostates? Why not talk about communists as though they actually are are good Catholics, really, at heart, because they realize the gospel is all about the poor. And that's what communism is, and Marxism are all about. They're about the poor. So they understand the gospel better than we do. Francis has actually come out and said this. And that atheists uh, can save their souls, they can go to heaven, right? Don't need faith. 
let alone hope and, and charity, as long as they uh, have a certain oh, love, a worldly love, natural love for mankind right, can, that can save them. I mean, all of these things are against the faith. They're all blasphemy. So when uh, Dr. Marshall here talks about what he said, if, if it is zeroing in on that statement, and I think it is at the general audience, general audience of February 2nd, um, I guess the only surprising thing is that it's taken this long for Dr. Taylor Marshall to come to that conclusion. Because Francis has said so many outrageous things that are manifestly against the faith, manifestly offensive to pious ears, manifestly impious and blasphemous, he said so many things like this. Why this? Why now? Well, we don't know. I mean, it's Dr. Grace. Uh, maybe it, it, the cumulative effect of all of this over the years of coming from Francis has finally brought him to the point where he says, enough, it's crystal clear now. I could find it some way to spin it in the past, but I can't find any way to spin this anymore. This is contrary to the faith. And the man is obviously uh, saying heretical things here, you know. And uh, he's facing the consequences that, well, yes, the, there are voices in the church have stated quite clearly that uh, a pope who manifests heresy, uh, that he does not have the papacy. Of course, you know, my, I don't think it's a matter of losing the papacy. I think it's a matter of Francis never having the papacy to begin with. Uh, because... One cannot become the Pope without accepting the office of the papacy. And it's impossible to accept the office of the papacy if you don't believe in the office of the papacy. Or if you have a false idea, you accept something that is not really the Catholic papacy, but something of your own imagination. Well, Francis is a modernist. He doesn't even believe in the papacy as the Catholic Church holds it, or as Christ established it. If he accepted the papacy, accepted it as something not only other than the true Catholic papacy, but something contrary to the true Catholic papacy. And so that does not it constitute, it could not constitute an actual acceptance of the office of the, of the Catholic papacy. I don't think Francis ever uh, received that. I mean, there, there are also issues uh, about even how he was elected by the Sengalan Mafia, right? And so on, as to whether that paints the whole question of... Uh, there's so many, so many red flags about this, uh, Francis being the Pope, that uh, the very least that anyone can say is that it's very doubtful. It's just objectively doubtful. Uh, but now that he uh, continues to spout these blasphemies, and uh, maybe, uh, you know, he's among the blasphemers, the apostates, and the rejectors of um, the Catholic baptism they received, and so on. Um, I mean, he might be very much among them. He considers them in the communion of saints. Why not himself, from the way he's talking? So I think it was inevitable that if uh, Dr. Taylor Marshall uh, continued, I, and I, I think he's an honest man. I think he's, he speaks his mind and uh, doesn't try to um, uh, prevaricate or purgate what he says. I, I think he does sincerely believe what he says. Then I think it was just a matter of time if he has the faith, and I believe he has the true faith, that he has to come to the reality, uh, come to face the reality that, that Francis is not only not teaching the faith, he's teaching contrary to the faith. And what do you think is uh, Dr. Marshall's next, next step would be, Father? I mean, this is a huge uh, thing of, of someone who, you know, previously believed that Francis was a true pontiff and was a member of his Novus Ordo Church, and now they decide, okay, he is heretical. Well, that raises so many questions. What about his bishops and his, his priests, um, would they be legitimate and, you know? Well, he's already voiced the idea of a doubt, that there's a doubt, at least that, right? And that doubt uh, puts him in a, in a situation where he has to begin to make some serious decisions. As you say, well, if there's a doubt about his papacy, what about his bishops? And what about this entire construct of a, a new order that he's uh, presided over in which he wants to try to... Uh, bring to completion um, the new order that was fashioned in Vatican II. So he's got some serious questions to face and some serious answers to give. And again, you know, I've asked you to pray for the, 
the police and the politicians and the truckers in Ottawa. I'm just going to pray for Dr. Taylor Marshall, too. Uh, he's a lot of influence. We've got a lot of people following what he says. Um, a lot of the people who do are, are just trying to learn about the Catholic faith, hear about it, right? You know, a lot of pious things, he says. Um, and so he does have quite a following, I understand. Uh, there are those, of course, who you know, are critics, too, inevitably. You know, it's impossible <laughs> these days to uh, say anything without being criticized by somebody somewhere. Um, and so he does have his share of critics. Uh, but in any case, uh, that's all the more reason why we should pray for him, uh, that he finds his way through and that he helps others find their way through this too. I mean, if one acknowledges at least this much that there is an objective doubt about the papacy of Francis, things change dramatically, in, in, you know, even from a moral point of view, because if the authority that you've been following, you realize, is doubtful, well, a, you know, a doubtful authority cannot command you. Um, doesn't have the, the right to command you. You don't have the obligation to obey a doubtful authority. Um, and so you realize, well, all these things we're being told to do, um, to abandon the traditional mass, and so on and so forth, I mean, obviously there's no authority behind that. Um, and that should make us begin to look at this whole new order construct that came out of Vatican II with its modernist religion, which is basically an anti-Catholic religion of the Novus Ordo, to begin to examine what authority is behind that. And do we have an obligation not to obey it? Do we have an obligation to refuse it? Right. After all, St. Robert Bellarmine himself, who was a great proponent of papal authority, said that if a, even a pope, he didn't question whether he was a true pope, he said if a pope would make commands, give commands that would attack the church and and threaten the salvation of souls, that not only should one not obey, one should, as a Catholic, impede the execution of his commands, that is, try to prevent others from obeying. And then certainly, in the case of a new order, this is definitely what is required of us as Catholics. Not only not to follow his new order with his new mass and his new sacraments and all the rest of the new catechism, but to actually oppose it and to rally opposition to it. Stay faithful to the traditional Catholic faith, worship, and government under under Catholic tradition, which is the work of the Holy Ghost. That's what we have to do as Catholics now. I think Dr. Taylor Marsher understands that in a, in the, in the broad sense. But uh, you know, I'm hoping that now he'll begin to see more of the practical application of that, facing those facts. Mm -hmm. Father, I wanted to read a viewer email because it's uh, somewhat related to this, and I thought a great uh, question that may be very helpful. I know many others have asked this question or some version of it. Um, I thought it might be great just to go over this again, but um, this viewer wrote in and uh, said, What can I say to Novus Ordo friends and family who are scandalized by the words and actions of Jorge Bergoglio, yet feel trapped in that non-Catholic religion because they regard... Uh, the words of St. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16, verse 19, uh, as giving the Pope unlimited power to sweep away and replace everything, even the commandments and the teachings of our Lord. They see themselves as standing strong and not abandoning the Church until a future Pope is elected who will wield his, this authority more conservatively. So what could someone say to a Novus Ordo friend or family member who thinks in this way, Father? What advice would you give well, St. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16, uh, features, I mean, the, the chapter is, is entirely worth reading. It's worth reading in its entirety from verse 1 all the way through. But what they're referring to is the, the middle of that, that chapter, uh, when our Lord asks the apostles, who do men say that the Son of Man is? The Son of Man being himself. And the apostles answer, well, some say Elias, some say John the Baptist, and so on. And our Lord said to his apostles, Whom do you say that I am? Who do you say I am? And St. Peter spoke up and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And our Lord said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, that was his name, Simon Barjona, Simon, son of Jonah, 
because flesh and blood hath not revealed this to thee, but my Father who is in heaven has revealed this to Peter. And I say to you that you are Peter, which rock, okay? And uh, we repeat the word Peter, and it's repeated often, uh, well, obviously in the masculine, because we're giving it as a proper name for Peter. And, uh, but it definitely means, in the, this context, certainly rock. And upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give to the, the keys to the kingdom of heaven. That's what they're referring to. Uh, St. Matthew chapter 16, verse 19. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever thou shalt, shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. That's what they're saying gives absolute authority to uh, Peter. Okay, that Christ promised to give these kingdoms, uh, give these keys to the kingdom and give this authority to Peter. Now, this is their interpretation, but, but we're not Protestants, so we don't go with private interpretation. We go with the church's interpretation of what those words actually mean, right? The church is what has to tell us what Christ meant by those words. It's not up to the individual to decide for himself what Christ meant by that. And so the fact is, Christ never gave to Peter, or promised to give to Peter, absolute authority over everything. Yes, it sounds that way in English, whatsoever you, whatsoever you bind, whatsoever you loose, whatsoever, but indiscriminately, no matter what it is, God is bound by it in heaven, and men are bound by it on earth. It's as though you have a greater authority than Christ himself, because Christ has come to do the will of the Father, and so he's bound by that. You might even say, in a sense, limited by it. He's going to do the will of the Father. But when it comes to you, you can do whatever you want. And God the Father in heaven has to go along with it. Whatsoever you decide. Is that what Christ said? That, that makes him more powerful than Christ himself, in a sense. It's absurd. And this is not what Christ meant. And the church itself has made it very clear that there are limitations on the power of the popes. Why? Because if the pope is the vicar of Christ... He's not the successor of Christ. He doesn't take over for Christ, and he's the new Christ now, who now makes all new rules and can do whatever he pleases. He's merely a representative of Christ on earth, and he can be a good representative or a bad representative. We've seen popes who were very bad representatives uh, in the history of the church. It's a matter of history. The church herself has pronounced judgment on this. Uh, we see the example of Honorius I, where the church herself has actually excommunicated him after death and after actually listed him as among the heretics, only because he favored heresy in his, in his policies, not necessarily because he embraced heresy and professed heresy, but because he didn't stop the heresy and condemn it. Well, in any case, Tom, uh, what, I would, what I would tell people uh, in a situation like that, I think to start with is, well, let's go and take a look at that passage in sacred scripture. Let's open the Bible, <clears throat> go to St. Matthew's Gospel, the first book of the New Testament. Let's go to chapter 16. Let's look at chapter 16 in its entirety, in context. So we begin reading, and we come to Matthew 16, 16, and we start reading this account of our Lord questioning his apostles, Peter professing his faith that Christ is truly the, the Christ, the Son of the living God, and uh, then, P then our Lord promising Peter that he is the King of Heaven. And uh, I've said this before, you've heard it before a number of times, I know. I apologize for repeating myself some. But, I mean, I think it's something that needs to be done anyway, so I think it's worth repeating. If I get one more person to look at this and see if, what it is, Keep reading Matthew chapter 16. Keep reading. Don't stop there. When Jesus promises Peter the keys to the kingdom of heaven, keep reading it. Well, we have the Bible right here, don't we? Yeah. Well, why don't we go ahead and do that? Okay. It's in Matthew chapter 16, right here. And uh, I hope my eyes will cooperate here. Um... 
that's why I said it's pretty poor. See, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 16, Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answering said to him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood hath not revealed this to thee, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say to thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give to thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind upon earth, it shall be bound also in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose upon earth, it shall be loosed also in heaven. What comes next is no less important than what we just read. Then he, that's our Lord, commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the ancients and scribes and chief priests and be put to death and the third day rise again. And Peter, taking him, began to rebuke him, saying, Lord, be it far from thee, this shall not be unto thee. So Peter is contradicting our Lord and saying, no. The very one he just said is the Christ, the Son of the living God, by divine inspiration. Now he's telling him, no, what you're saying is not true. I will not accept it. But not only is he actually saying to our Lord, I do not accept what you're teaching, but you're saying, I do not accept it. It cannot be so. He's actually denying the purpose for which our Lord came, the redemption. He's saying, I will not accept the fact that you are going to die on that cross. This is the mission of our Lord. This is the purpose of his coming. The primary purpose was to serve the will of the Father, to make reparation for our sins. And Peter's saying, no, I will not hear this. I will not hear of this. I will not allow this. I will not believe this. I will not accept this. He's denying that, the very central purpose of our Lord's coming. Inconceivable, but true, you know. And um, then, then look at our Lord's response to Peter here. Who, this is our Lord Jesus Christ now, turning, said to Peter, Go behind me, Satan, he calls him. Now get behind me, Satan. It's like, get out of my sight. That was the expression, get behind me. Satan, he says. He just called him Peter. Now he's Satan. Because thou art a scandal unto me, because thou savorest not the things that are of God, but the things that are of men. Now that's quite a rebuke, right? Just moments after uh, Peter's profession of faith and our Lord promising to give him the keys to the kingdom of heaven, Peter goes from being Peter the rock to being Satan, right? The scandal. Someone who's even a scandal to God himself, right? And why? Well, I, I think these words should be taken to heart. I think these words should impress us very much today in the light of Francis and what we hear coming from the mouth of Francis and the example that he's setting. Because thou savorest not the things that are of God, but the things that are of men. If any words apply to Francis, Jorge Bergoglio, those words apply. He savorists not, he, he, he does not mind the things of God. He minds the things of men. This is what he, this is his faith. This is his hope and this is whatever so-called charity you know, he speaks of. And um, so um, whenever, whenever a pope does this, when he minds the things of man and not the things of God. He becomes like Satan in the world. He becomes a scandal to God and the whole world. If anything were to apply to Francis today, this certainly applies. So I think uh, people who are kind of stuck on this idea of the Pope uh, now being a, a new God and even a, a successor of Christ and having authority that Christ himself did not have, 
uh, to contradict Christ, to replace what Christ has done, to uh, establish a, a, different, a different church. I mean, you know, St. Paul says in his Epistles to the Galatians, Galatians, if an angel from heaven should come and preach a gospel different from the gospel that I have preached unto you, let him be anathema, right? Let him be cast out. But Francis is saying that even blasphemers, persecutors of the church, and apostates are not cast out, okay? The only people who are cast out are those who have the old faith. They're too rigid. The only people Francis is ready to cast out are the people who want the traditional mass. They're anathema to him. Blasphemers, apostates, and persecutors of the church, they're all members of the communion of saints. But would Francis uh, accord that... Uh, that honor to the rigid traditionalists who want that traditional mass and have something of Satan in them. Um, there's something gravely wrong here. Taylor Marshall is breaking through this, uh, uh, I would say, a kind of fog here and uh, realizing, seeing it for what it is. And I hope others will too now. Uh, and I hope those who, you know, our writer, what our, our writer mentions, uh, relatives and friends who just have this false idea that, um, you know, Christ is establishing a, an antichrist as a successor of his himself uh, with the authority to contradict him and to undo what he had done and to establish something quite contrary to the work of Christ in the world. That this has the authorization of heaven? No, it doesn't. It never could. The church itself has told us how to understand these words. And uh, that is why, if you read the writings of the doctors of the church and the fathers of the church on the very subject, they really come down on this side, as Dr. Taylor Marshall says, that if a pope were to openly profess heresy, he would actually lose the very office of the papacy, if he had it to begin with, he would lose it by that manifest heresy. That in itself shows that that interpretation of uh, Matthew 16, 19 cannot, cannot be Catholic. Mm -hmm. So anyway, uh, I hope that helps somewhat. I hope it's somewhat clear. Sure. Yeah, that's great, Father. Um, anything else that you'd like to add in no. closing? Okay. <laughs> well, anyway, as far as closing, yes, yes I, I think I would just like to say, uh, you know, all of this talk of what's going on now is not pleasant, I know, because of what's happening is not pleasant, okay? Um, but nonetheless, I, th I think it does show that there are ways to, to understand what's happening, on, what, what is happening now, and to understand it in such a way that it is not contrary to our faith, it's actually a support to our faith. It should actually encourage us in our faith because what we see happening is a fulfillment of what has been prophesied, what we've been told will happen. Um, so we can't be surprised that these things are happening. What would surprise us is if they didn't happen. The only surprise we might have is that it's happening now and we're witnessing, we're watching it happen before our very eyes. But it's, these are things that have to happen at some point because we have God's own authority who prophesied told, telling us that this, we, these things would come to pass. And so they confirm, they should be confirmation to our faith at these times. And they should give us a great, um, a great fortitude and zeal for the faith and determined to be faithful to God, to practice our traditional Catholic faith and not waver no matter who tells us to abandon it. Uh, that there is no voice that can cause us to ab abandon our Lord <clears throat> and his, the truth that he's taught. There is no voice that can command us to abandon the cross, the sacrifice by which he redeemed us. That there is no voice that can convince us to abandon the sacrifice of the Mass. And uh, that even as St. Paul says, if... if a voice would come, even an angel speaking uh, from heaven, uh, to command us to follow a different gospel, that to us he would be anathema. That fallen angel would be nothing other than Lucifer, who had fallen from heaven 
and uh, would be passing through here to get us to turn away from the true gospel on his, on his way to hell, <laughs> wanting to take us with him. So we have to have a tremendous confidence in the ultimate victory of our Lord Jesus Christ, that he is, is victorious even now. But we want him to be victorious in ourselves. And the only way he would be victorious in ourselves is if we uh, take the grace that he gives us to be faithful to him and profess our faith and our hope and our love for him. So I just urge everyone to, uh, if, if you've fallen into the trap of this new order, this Novus Ordo religion that came out of Vatican II or followed upon Vatican II, get away from it. It is not of God. Follow the traditional Catholic faith. Find the traditional Catholic faith. Adhere to the traditional Catholic faith. Practice the traditional Catholic faith in the traditional Mass, the traditional sacraments. And uh, there, there you will find the true teaching of the Church. There you'll find the true teaching of Christ. Absolutely. That's right. Yeah. And uh, may our Blessed Mother uh, be your model in this. May, her, uh, may she take you by the hand and, and guide you Take you to him, right? Okay. Yeah, stand there with her, with St. John the Apostle, and with St. Mary Magdalene. All right. All right. Father, thank you for being here tonight. Thanks for everything that you do. Oh, certainly. Well, thank you. Yeah. Appreciate thank it. You. And I do encourage listeners to go to the what Catholics believe, WCB Ohio website, because you've done an enormous amount of work there. You have a lot of material there, which is very helpful. Sure. And I... I Certainly appreciate all the time and effort you've made there, Tom. Well, there are many others who have uh, who've helped with that, Father, mm -hmm. so it's definitely a team effort. But there's... One name I didn't mention that I should, though. I ask our viewers to pray for Mr. Jonathan Sapp. Okay, it has health issues. We prayed for Jonathan before when he was facing the, uh, the serious, serious problem, which could have been faithful by the grace of God. It wasn't, and Jonathan's still with us. But uh, he's still facing um, some heavy crosses, so I ask you pray, to pray for him as well, mm -hmm. uh, So especially in the days ahead. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you, Father, and thanks to all of our viewers as well for watching this episode of What Catholics Believe. Until next time, we ask that you all remember the words of Our Lady at Fatima to consecrate yourselves and your families to the Immaculate Heart of Mary and to pray and do penance. Thank you, and God bless you.